as we've come finally moving our way through Romans, Paul's been teaching people how to get along, how to find out how we can function in life in a way that allows us to be productive. It is some of, in, in this book and in the ch- like chapters 12 and 13, some of, and 14 also, some of the most practical information in the Bible. But whenever you get into practical things, you also get into some issues and some complications. And certainly Romans 13 and what Paul has to say about the government and our submission to the government is definitely one of those areas that's, that we could argue about it all night. And I don't have all the answers to all the ramifications of it, but it's kind of interesting to me that we've come to this section tonight. We just celebrated the 4th of July, Independence Day, the, the time that signified our revolting against the British government ruling over us and, and formed our independent government. And so the fireworks are just settling right now as we come to Romans 13 that tells us to submit to the authority that's there. So what do we do with that? Is, it, is our heritage as a nation one of going against what the Word of God says? And if, if not, how, how do we interpret this? How, if, if you can justify revolution, what's to keep us from revolting now, for instance? So let's have a look at this. Romans chapter 13, and let's read the first couple verses and then we'll throw the brakes on. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authority that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment to themselves. Now, that sounds pretty clear. Now, people would say, well, you know, Paul wasn't writing when we had, you know, the Democrats, Obama in charge. No, that's true. He was writing when Nero was the leader (laughs) and saying this. Shocking that he would make such a statement. It's really not what you would expect. I, I think we've been kind of brainwashed to a degree that, you know, to think of Jesus and Paul and people like that as revolutionaries. They came and just flipped the world upside down by thumbing their nose at the authorities that were there. You don't ever see, though, really Paul or Jesus confronting the political establishment for their corruption, although it was significant. You don't see them cooperating in any way with like the Zealot movement or other movements that were in place in those days that were designed to overthrow the rule of Rome over um, the people of Israel or anything. There's none of that. It's sort of surprising that that that, that didn't happen. And an awful lot of people ended up rejecting Jesus because he didn't do that. They, when they saw the power that he had, when they heard the words that he had, and he was talking about a kingdom, and it was obvious he was claiming to be Messiah, 
the one who would come and rule and reign. And, and so they thought they knew what that meant. But ultimately, his response to an evil government was to die at their hands without uttering a word of protest. And that just seems so strange to us. But we have to ask ourselves, first of all, what's the nature of his kingdom? How does he decide to do business? And, and then how are we to relate to government authorities in, in light of that? And, and I think what we see here, and I, I think what I come away with from this, is that Paul isn't talking idealistically in terms of politically, how could we create a perfect world? But what he's doing is giving us advice of how to stay out of trouble so that we could continue to do that which we are called to do. In a sense, we as Christians have a higher calling than fixing the world. Now you think, how could there be a higher calling than that? Well, the truth is, if we have perfect government with perfect leaders, with laws that are exactly the way, if we became theonomists, which are people who, and there are people today, reconstructionists who believe in the idea of theonomy, the idea that we should take what God says and make it the law of the land, and therefore we can fix what's wrong with the world. Well, when was the world ever fixed when that was the case? How good was the governing authority when it was all about God's law? See, what's wrong with people runs much deeper than the laws that they have. What's wrong with people goes way beyond political structure and political organization. And it's why, to a great extent, spending your time trying to win political battles, if the calling that you have from God is a spiritual one, if, as we saw Sunday, he tells us, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. If that's the case, and it's a spiritual battle that we are addressing, then to spend your time and energy trying to reform human government, however well-guided you might be, to do that at best is probably polishing the brass on a sinking ship making it look nice as people die and go to hell. Paul's perspective was that he had a higher calling than to stick his nose into the political realm. And therefore, you never see him weighing in on it. But what he is saying here almost seems overly conciliatory, giving them too much credit. On the one hand, if you just go, we don't talk about that, that's one thing, but how how can you say the things that he says here in these first couple verses? Well, I think it'll help you a little bit if I, if I go a little more in depth into those verses and hopefully I can get through this without losing you. If it just starts getting boring, just start raising your, waving your hands or something and we'll just move on. But if you read it in, in the original language, and I'm not going to read the thing to you in Greek, but there are some 
ironies and some wordplay that are going on here that I think might help you to understand it a little better. And it's kind of appropriate because it involves a word, submission. This is where it starts. That we had just been studying notably in Ephesians when we're talking about submitting ourselves one to another, wives submitting to husbands, you know, slaves to masters, and so on. And it's the word hupotasso. The Greek word tasso sounds like a clown's name, but it's a word that means to sort out or to organize. And the word hupo means under. And so hupotasso, the word that's that's translated to be subject to right here in verse 1, the same word that's, that is translated in Ephesians to submit, it's a word that means to line yourself up to make adjustments in conjunction with someone else. Again, as we talked about on Sundays, it, it's a word that was used notably for military marching formations where in order to march in a consistent formation, you need to line yourself up with others who are marching. You need to make adjustments. It's exactly what we do. If you have a marriage that's even looking like it's sort of working, it's built on this principle of hupotasso, this principle of submission. It's the idea, and it takes all parties involved to do it. If anyone decides to go off on their own way, the formation is broken. But if we are listening to the Lord and at the same time keeping an eye on each other and and we're willing to make adjustments that are necessary, we can actually coordinate our movements. We can actually move in such a way that out of consideration for those that we are lined up with, we can get the job done. And so, um, let every soul be hupotasso. Let every person line themselves up. Let every person be sensitive to the, the authorities in such a way that you adjust yourself to keep yourself in line, to basically stay out of trouble. And an awful lot of what he is saying here is just good advice. We have a race to run. We have a mission to accomplish. Now, if you don't learn to deal with the system that you are living in, then disruption will follow and failure is inevitable. It's, again, the same way in a marriage. There are certain things about your spouse that are probably really wrong. But if you can't figure out how to make the adjustments, and of course it helps when you're both making adjustments because we are equally generally at fault in our idiosyncrasies and our failures. So the recipe for success in a marriage is two people watching each other and making adjustments. But even when the other person isn't making adjustments, there are some areas where you just don't have a lot of choice. And one of them is the government. And if you can't figure out how to adjust yourself to what the government is expecting. I don't care who the government is. Oh, you can be proud of your you know, standing on principle, but you'll probably do it in jail. You'll do it as a failure and ultimately be taken off of your 
agenda. Now, Paul spent a lot of time in jail, but it was never for breaking the government's laws. It was never for flaunting himself in the face of the government. It was always false trumped-up charges by religious leaders that landed him in jail. And there are times when he got out of jail by using his rights that he had as a Roman citizen in order to insist on the system accommodating the reality of his situation. Okay, But his basic principle is going to be not, okay, what's right and wrong absolutely. Not that there isn't an absolute right and wrong. There certainly is. But the truth is we could sit and talk all day long about how wrong the government is, and there are a lot of Christians who are consumed with that. And you can do that, and if you want, you can resist that. But ultimately, is that going to make you effective? And Paul's interest is, how can we stay on task? How can we be free to do what we need to do in life? And so, let every soul be hupotasso, be lined up with the governing authorities. Now, Here's another Greek word, the word authority, that we see repeated three times in this first verse and again in the second verse as well. It's, it's not a word that refers to absolute power or even the right to have power. It's not like dunamis or something, the, the, the power that belongs to God. But the Greek word there is exousia, which doesn't mean anything to you, but we get the word exercise from it. Um, and, and it's a word that means you can get things done. You have delegated to you somehow an opportunity to facilitate getting, making things happen, getting things done. And so anyone who has this, this authority, this power, it doesn't make them right, it doesn't mean that God approves of them and therefore he's given them this opportunity. It's all about practicality. It's all about getting things done. And he says, there are people who are in a position to affect your life that if you're going to get things done, you're going to have to get it done through them. And so you better figure out how to line yourself up with them, the governing or the higher authorities. For... There is no authority except from God. Now, again, the authority that he's talking about ends up being delegated somehow. And so what he's saying here is everyone who's in a position is there because God has allowed them to be. It's not such a strong statement that it would somehow give them divine right to rule. Like, God put me here, therefore I am justified. But it's simply saying, look, these are the people who you need to work with in order to get things done. It's just the way that it works. It's the way the system works. And, and so, therefore, God is allowing them, if you believe in God's sovereignty, if you believe that he can do anything that he wants to do, and in fact that he is involved in things in this world, then you understand, if they are in that position, it's because God has allowed them to be in that position. 
And many times the scriptures talk about even an even, evil ruler that God placed in that position. And so the idea is before you just, you're ready to cut off the head of your leaders politically or your bureaucrats or whoever it is, recognize there's probably some reason why God has allowed them to be where they are. Even if they're evil, even if they're doing wrong things, God has purposes in all of that. It reminds me of over in Daniel. Remember when um, Daniel came before Belshazzar after Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the wall in Daniel chapter 5. And they were there at Belshazzar's feast and they, they called Daniel in to try to figure out what was going on. The hand was still floating in the air. The astrologers, wise men, and everybody couldn't read it. And so Belshazzar said, I've heard of you, in verse 14 of Daniel chapter 5, that the Spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Interesting, he wasn't using that wisdom, but he knew the capabilities that Daniel had because of Daniel's history with his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. But he says in verse 16, And I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself. Keep your stuff. Give your rewards to another, but I will read the handwriting. And so he went ahead and he read the handwriting, but he began to talk about history. And he said in verse 18, The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, he's probably his grandfather, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. That is sovereignty. He said, Nebuchadnezzar could do whatever. If he wanted somebody dead, he could kill him. If he wanted someone promoted, he could do that. But, verse 20, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. And he goes on to say, Belshazzar, you haven't humbled your heart. You've lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And as a result, your days are numbered. Tonight, you're out of office. You're going to be done. See, somehow, on the one hand, there are people who seem to have incredible authority. And they've been allowed to exercise that authority. And, and God allows them to do it. He could stop them, and he has a reason why he doesn't. But that authority has nothing to do with their credibility. 
It has nothing to do with, it's not a statement about what a good job they are doing. Ultimately, they will answer for and pay for what they do with the authority that's been delegated to them. And yet, the implication, the statement is very clear. When God decides he's had enough from a human ruler, when his purposes are fulfilled, then he'll take that person out. He lifts them up. He puts them down. I don't always understand. In fact, usually I don't understand why he would do such a thing. And no matter what your political persuasion is, we will all agree if we can go back far enough in history, whether you are from a liberal persuasion and you can't figure out why the Republicans were in office for so long, or whether you're a Republican and you're like, why did Bill Clinton get away with what he did? And why do we have you know, Obama as a president, whatever? It doesn't matter. Either, either way, we can look and go, what is God thinking? But if we believe the Bible, we have to know that he's thinking something. That, and, and perhaps it is that each of these rulers, although they may have their glaring flaws, perhaps there's one aspect of, of who they are that God in his grace is sharing with us. I, I don't know. Sometimes you look at certain rulers and you go, I look at the, you know, the leader in North Korea and think, what could it possibly be? But I'm not God. And therefore, I have to submit myself to the idea that he's actually working and he knows what he's doing. And yes, it may be that certain leaders are there simply because people get the leaders they deserve and maybe the people need to be judged and they're being judged by the existence of a, of a ruler that, that doesn't have that much good to offer. But I mean, let's face it, most rulers we've had in this country have something redeeming about them. Good things happen in every regime and bad things as well. But the whole point is, either you choose to believe that God's allowing these people to be in office, or you feel so hopeless that Poor God, he couldn't help it. God couldn't, you know, do what needed to be done. Now, don't go too far with the sovereignty of God. Don't blame God for Nero or for Hitler or for Nixon or whoever. It's, God didn't say, okay, here you go. But somehow his hand is at work by allowing, allowing us to choose our leaders, maybe to get those we deserve. But but more than that, he, God loves us. His hand of grace is upon us, and he knows more than we do. And so even in the case of Nero in Rome, somehow, I mean, God could have taken him out. Now, God did take him out. Hitler in Germany, God did take him out. But why does God allow the things that he allows? <laughs> It's not always clear to see. But we do, I, I, I do have this comforting reality that God knows what he's doing. That he lifts people up and he takes them down and he has reasons for allowing 
that to happen. And, and human authority is that way. And you either learn to work within that framework and accept that, or you decide that you are going to be a rebellious radical and you're going to overthrow that which is in existence. But Paul's exhortation is just deal with it. Accept the people who are there, the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, the word appointed there is the word tasso. So you have hupotasso, line yourself up under, and you have tasso as appointed by God. It's not the word that would mean God, you know, elected them. This is God's eternal choice that they are somehow considered worthy. And they're, no, God tassoed them. God, as he's moving the pieces around on the chessboard, has a reason for allowing this person, these people, to be in power at this point. They're being moved by God more than they recognize. Now, think of a chess game. If you move a pawn forward, for instance, and I'm not much of a chess player, I just don't have the patience, but I know this much. If you move a pawn forward, it isn't always with the notion that you are going to get that pawn all the way across the board to the other side and therefore be able to turn it into a queen. That's, that's not necessarily what you have in mind. An awful lot of the moves in chess are sacrificial moves with a greater end in mind. And so just because God uses someone, we've seen it biblically throughout history, and we've seen it in our history since the Bible, God will put someone in a position and move them around, and they'll make some good moves, and then sometimes they get sacrificed for the sake of, of the better good. And so the idea is God has purposes, but God is the one who's moving pieces on the puzzle and, you know, on the chessboard, and it's really fruitless for us to try to anticipate exactly what he's doing, to try to interpret it, to try to give him advice. He doesn't ask for our consultation because he's so many moves ahead of us. He's, he's eternal. He has a plan in mind. He is working. And a part of his working involves doing things and, and using people that are sometimes, frankly, just disgusting and, you know, I could object to God using disgusting people were I not so disgusting in my heart. I'm thankful that God can use dirtbags. Now, we're all dirtbags. Now it's just a relative thing as to how much of a dirtbag you are. Well, to me, the, the most dirtbag place you could ever be would be in a political position. I have, you know, several times I've been open about this people who are called to be ministers of God, who decide that they want to run for office. Now, who am I to say they're not hearing from God? But to me, if God ever told me, okay, Dave, you're not supposed to be the pastor of that church anymore. I want you to become 
the President of the United States. I would feel like that would be the greatest demotion I could ever have. I would feel like God was saying to me, you are disqualified, you are a loser, and now you're going to end up in the gutter of Washington to be picked on and humiliated. By, I mean, right now, I, you know, David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, Jay Leno, Jimmy Fallon, they don't know who I am. They're not up there making jokes about me, picking on me. I go wherever I want. There are no paparazzi. You know, there, there are a few people that, hey, Pastor Dave, but, uh, you know, it's like, no, I, I have a great life compared to if I decided to run for the mayor of Aliso Viejo or something. That would be such a foolish thing for me to do when what I get to do with my life is tell people what the Word of God says, tell people about Jesus, I can pretty much speak freely and honestly. I have an opportunity to do that. I have a platform for that. Nothing's better than that. But God has some people. Again, I I don't understand anybody who wants to get involved in that area. To me, you should go into politics if you just can't possibly do anything else. (laughs) If you've been unemployed for years... You're just a community organizer or something, and, and you, need to, you need a job. Okay, fine. Run for office. But that's ultimately, those people are Velcro on a board, and one goes up, and the next one comes down, and the last thing I want to do is to have that kind of, a, of a, a life's calling. Now, if you're called to that, great. But, you know, I know some Christians who have just burned their lives out trying to fix things politically. I have seen pastors who have sacrificed a lot of the effectiveness of their ministry because all they want to talk about is politics. And all it does is alienate people that God has maybe called you to reach. If all of a sudden, you know, I decide, okay, we are the church that is only this way politically, And I'm going to get up here every week and I'm going to bag on everyone that I disagree with in politics, which is pretty much everyone. And and, and so that's what I'm going to do. How many people are really going to, who come in for the first time and they go, I get what this church is about. They hate the president. Or they, you know, they want to overthrow the government or whatever. It's like, are they going to hear what I have that's really good news? The good news that I get to tell people about and the truth of God's word is so much better than the trivialities that are involved with all these things that people are putting petitions out for and crusading and all. And hey, if that's your calling, great. I'm thankful that it's not mine because to me, God is going to do what he's going to do. And if he has specifically called you to be a political activist, then fine, do it. But don't let anybody else guilt you into that and get you sidetracked in that way. Because the truth is, his commentary on it is, you know what? Those people who are in power are who they are. They're put there. I know that they are there. I can take them out whenever I choose to. Now, you can decide to be a revolutionary if you want. And there are some people who from a good heart have become revolutionaries. Okay. Some of them 
ended up founding our country, really. Um, and, and I honor that memory. At some point, something shifted, and God decided to allow our founding fathers to now be the governing authorities. And, and, and so when that happened, now all of a sudden, should I still be loyal to Britain? Should I still be eating bad food and, and you know, talking like a stuck-up person? Because, oh, you know, really it was wrong for us. To, no, the authority that's here now is the government that we have right now. And I'm thankful for that. I, would I have joined as a leader in the revolution? I don't know. I mean, you look at the signers of the Declaration of Independence, it's interesting how many of them were clergymen. So there were people that God was calling at that time to turn things around politically. Personally, I don't believe that they were wrong because the fact is they won. <laughs> and when they win, God allowed that, and I'm not gonna spend the rest of my life feeling guilty for the American Revolution or for us killing the buffaloes and putting all the Indians in casinos or anything. I, it's like, hey, uh, no, don't get me wrong. There are some horrible, dark things in our past, but what's done is done, and it's, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. But, <laughs> but no, here's the thing. God knows. He's working. You know, give him a little credit and trust him. If you really want to see change, Pray. Because the truth is, let's face it, in our country, there was a time when we had this great movement of conservatives that were going to change the country. The moral majority was taking its stand. And boy, you know, Newt Gingrich and every, it was like, hey, this is, we're, we're controlling Congress, we're controlling the presidency, we're, where did it get us? Apparently, that wasn't God's plan for our country. Apparently, God's plan includes us being a minority, and that's okay. You want to fight against that? Fine, go ahead. Get people organized. Keep bombarding everyone's email with all of your conspiracy theories about the Illuminati and everything if you want. But the truth is, when you look at it, ultimately, you have to go, I was wrong. I thought this was what God was going to do. Man, Honestly, I remember when people started to barricade abortion clinics and stuff, and I thought, this is great. Finally, we're drawing some attention to this issue of abortion, and more power to you if God has called you to go do that. But did it work? Honestly, the whole Operation Rescue thing, did it really prevent a lot of abortions from occurring? I'd say... We're further behind in some ways than we were even at that point. However, interestingly enough, there are, you know, in our country at least, a whole lot less abortions. But it isn't because of the protesters. It isn't because of the movements of power. It's because of things like the development of the 3D, you know, incredible pictures that we get of an unborn child inside the womb. The development of the three-dimensional sonogram has prevented more abortions than everybody who ever marched against abortion ever dreamed of. And some guys were off 
and girls were slaving in a laboratory coming up with that technology that would ultimately prevent more abortions than a guy that's out shooting abortion doctors. Now, again, what do you, what do you say? I, of course, I, I don't believe in going and shooting someone. And ultimately, the guy who did that, you could make an argument that he saved lives. I would say, well, he's not going to save many more. He's in jail for the rest of his life. I'm not, like I heard somebody say, though, you know, as a Christian, I'm certainly opposed to shooting anyone, but at the same time, I'm, you know, I believe in freedom, and he has the freedom to do that if he wants. But in reality, is that a smart choice? If what you really want to do is to promote human life, is that the best way to go about it? Of course not. Of course not. And what Paul is saying here is give God a little credit and recognize that he has a plan and figure out how you fit in with his plan instead of thinking that you're the one that's going to take it upon yourself to disrupt the order, to bring about a revolution, to change everything. All of those passionate appeals to get us involved in something that God hasn't called us to be involved in, it's all striving. And it's all ultimately just going to set you up for failure. He's going to talk in a little bit about paying your taxes. And I've talked before about the guy who has had a powerful ministry in a lot of ways and calls himself Dr. Dino. Kent Hovind is his name. And, and he's absolutely convinced that, that paying income tax is optional, that it's not mandated. And I, I had a long discussion with him about it. And I go, you know, you may think that you're right, and you can sit and argue with me, and I go, oh, you've got a point. There are some elements to what you're saying. But he ends up losing everything that he had, and he's in jail because, what, he's right? How, you may be right, but is that really wise? Is that the, is that the best use of your gifts to focus your attention on insisting that you're not going to pay your taxes? Oh, you could be right. But you could be right in a really stupid way. And that happens on a micro level in families. It happens at work where people just take a stand and put their foot down and then they're just out of work. And they're like, well, I was right. Yeah, but you're unemployed. Was there another, I mean, can you ever back up and go, I wonder if there was a different strategy I could have used if I was really listening to God. I wonder if he could have helped me to work within the system. Now, sometimes you have to take a stand and, and God help you. The, you've got to do what God tells you to do. And more than that, I tell you all the time, you do what you think God wants you to do. I'm not up here to tell anybody what to do. And when I counsel people, it is not to, for you to come to me and I'll tell you what to do. If I'm going to tell you what to do, I'm going to tell you, you do what you really believe that God wants you to do. We'll, we'll see how it works out and talk about it later as to whether you were really hearing from God. But at least be willing to admit, yeah, that didn't work out so well. Or, hey, it did. I, I really was hearing from God. So, again... He says, God is appointing people. God is moving the pieces around. He is arranging things, you know, sorting them out. 
And so there isn't any authority except from God, and the authority, the ability to, to do business, it exists, it's tasso by God, it's arranged by God, sorted out by God, therefore, on the basis of the fact that God is in the equation. God's not asleep. He's not, you know, unable to work. He isn't in desperation. So, whoever resists, now the word therefore resists here, used twice, used three times in in verse two, is the word tasso, but it's used in a in, a, in the middle voice in the verb form, and it has the prefix anti against it. So, you know, anti means instead of or against. It's kind of like saying, okay, God has arranged things. If you want to be somebody who tips over the chessboard, which was inevitably the way most of my chess games would end, but if that's what you want to be, you want to be some sort of take pride in the fact that you're an iconoclast and you're just knocking everything down and removing everything and you're against the arrangement. You are a radical. You are a revolutionary. Okay, you can do that. But if you decide to be an anti-Tasso person, somebody who looks at the way things are and go, we got to fix this. But if you're that way with those who have authority, those who have the power to get things done. You are anti-Tasso, the ordinance of God. Now that word ordinance is another word, dia, and before Tasso. Dia means through, or kind of all the way through, and then another form of the word Tasso, dia Tasso, is, is to arrange things thoroughly. And so he goes, if you decide to be a revolutionary, you are going against the plan of God. And what you're saying that I know better than God. I here, God, I see that you're doing certain things, but you're setting yourself up for failure. So let me interfere here and tell tell let me tell you how you need to run the universe, how you need to structure the world. God you're wrong. And, and Paul's going, you, do you really want to be a, a radical in that sense? Do you really want to be just rebellious? Do you want to be someone who is against the existing order, against the tasso, against the plan? You resist the diatasso of God. And those who resist will bring judgment the word crema, we get the word crime or criminal, bring judgment on themselves. So he says, yeah, you're free to be a radical if you want, but don't be surprised when you go to jail for it. Don't be surprised when the whole machine turns against you. Don't, you know, that's what happens. If you want to be a revolutionary, hey, and you feel like God has called you to that, great. But after the revolution, the first people they get rid of are the revolutionaries. It's just that's the way it happens. So if you're willing, you believe in what you're saying enough that you're going to sacrifice yourself and you really believe it's going to work, um, go ahead. But realize the price that you're going to pay. Realize what you're 
doing to yourself. You better know that it's God. If you're someone who goes into this area of political authority and you decide to move a few pieces around to see what happens, you're going to make this happen. Just know what it can cost you. Know what can happen as a result of it. Now he goes on to explain and says, rulers aren't a terror for, to good works, but to evil. In other words, authority that's there, the one, what they're really worried about is keeping the peace. They're looking for people that are messing things up. If you are a good person, they're going to have very little to go against you for. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what's good. And you'll have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. God actually even wants to use some of these evil people in a way that will provide opportunities for you to be more effective in what you're doing for God. We see this all the time. It's amazing how certain technologies that would not exist if it wasn't for evil, and yet they become an amazing servant of the work of God. The internet, which originally was more or less of a, a thing for nerds and, and uh, you know, students and, and government officials and things like that. Why did the internet grow to the extent that it is? Why do most all of us have broadband in our homes and it's inexpensive? What caused us to go from where you'd dial your modem and it would tie up your phone line and you'd hear and then in a really slow way you might be able to get some email and waiting for five minutes you could pull up a bit of information or something and now we have this almost instant my telephone can do more technologically than my computer could do even five years ago and thank you, Apple. And <laughs> how did that happen? Why? And, and it's cool. Right now, tonight, a bunch of people from our church are sitting at home watching you and participating in this study. And I'll know tomorrow I'll get emails from people commenting on the service and even saying a lot of them notice who is in church because they will pan the audience and they'll go, oh, it's so neat to see these people there and to see... Some of them are out of town on business. Some of them are missionaries halfway around the world. Some of them are shut-ins or people who can't drive at night and whatever. And they're all, I mean, they are here with us right now. You know why? You know who you have to thank for that? I hate to say it. The pornography industry. If it was not for the pornography industry, we would not have this technology. Pornography is something that demands quicker access. And, and as a result, yeah, the internet is an evil thing. Something like 80 to 90% of the traffic on the internet is at best inappropriate and at worst downright pornographic. Um, and that's a horrible thing. And God didn't bring about, you know, use, but at the same time, it's amazing how God will take even what evil people do and he'll say, I could use that. You can use that. We can take that technology and there's a way that it can be redeemed and glorify God. As a result, boy, I, 
It's amazing to me. I look at the amount of, today I was driving in my car listening to some Christian podcasts that automatically were downloaded because I said, I'll take that. And I'm listening to it in my car. And it's like, it's so incredible, this technology. And it came about because of, of evil things that God said, okay, now you've perfected the technology. I'll take that. I'll use that. And so he says, even these evil people are ministers to you. They will serve you. They will bring into your life opportunities to, you know, do good things. I mean, I see things that happen politically in certain countries that then open the door for us to take the gospel to some of those countries. It's great. That's all I care about. I, I look at what's happening in, um, uh, I have a visa to go there, so we'll just say a uh, a Latin American country off the coast of Florida. And, you know, there was a time for a long time, and really if people who agreed with me politically had their way, I wouldn't be able to go there. But all of a sudden now I'm actually going to be able to have a religious visa and go there and minister to some people. How did that come about? Because of people who were liberalizing their policies, slacking off in different ways, and it's like, hey, I can't fix the problems of that country and I'm not going to go over there and tell them how wrong they are or whatever. I have a higher agenda. I'm going to go over there and tell people that Jesus loves them. I, I think of the people, you know, and we have so many loved ones. And Pastor Jose, who came out of our church, Jose Lopez, he's ministering to people primarily who are here in this country illegally. Now, we need to close the border. We need to not let these people in. I get all of that. I don't want to hear from you about it. Uh, um, all I know is those people are here. They broke the law getting here. They're breaking the law every day they're here. What are you going to do? going to preach the gospel. They get caught and they get sent back. They take the gospel back with them. You know, it's, it's a question of what matters most. It's not about being, you know, so legalistic that we think that our job is to bring righteousness to this world. It isn't. You're stupid if you think you can do that. It's not going to happen. It's never happened historically. It will never happen until King Jesus is on the throne. In the meantime, we better deal with what we've got. And we can either do that in a wise way that will allow us to be effective or we can do it in a foolish way that will render us useless. You know, we're having, you know, people are going to have an opportunity, and I'm going to get to go there later this year, into a country in, in Southeast Asia that's very close to the gospel. We have um, our missionaries, one of them's here tonight, who, whose life is devoted to that great nation. And there's a lot that you could point out that's wrong in that nation. And when you minister in that nation, you get into some gray areas probably, you know, how you, okay, how do you answer this question on your visa application? And what if they start asking you about that or what? But you know what? I'm not so worried about playing that game. I'm thankful for an opportunity to share the gospel. So when we have an opportunity to do that, we would be foolish to not take that opportunity. And so 
we have a team of people who are going to be going pretty soon who are going to be able to minister in a part of the world where there isn't a bunch of Christian ministry, and, but they're going to be, quote, you know, English tutors, English teachers. And they're just going to be sharing God's love with people and the gospel, and sure, they'll teach some English. You always do something of what you say you're doing. But at some point, you just have to decide, am I going to do what opens the door for me to serve God? Am I going to do what God calls me to do, or am I going to put my foot down and take a stand and be totally right and totally useless? You know, it brings up the point of when you go into a, a country, and how about smuggling Bibles into a country where they're forbidden? Now, this isn't as much of a factor today as it was in the past. Um, you know, I, but, you know, does submission to a government mean that you won't take Bibles to people who need them? Um, personally, I don't, I don't think so. At one point, Calvary was involved smuggling two million Bibles into uh, a, that large Southeast Asian country. And we bought... We paid for a tugboat to haul a barge full of Bibles in, sunk the barge, floated the Bibles into land. Almost every one of those two million Bibles got into the hand of a Christian in, who was a part of house churches there. Um, you can sit and argue about whether or not that was right, but I'm thinking there's two million Bibles in people's hands. I'm not going to spend too much time sweating over whether we should have asked permission and been turned down. At some point, you obey God rather than men. Ethically, I'm not going to pretend like there aren't issues. As much as is possible to me, if I go to another country, I'm not going to lie in order to do it. Uh, I, but at the same time, I'm certainly not going to tell them everything I know. I don't feel bound to that. Don't, you know, Paul says later in verse 8, oh, no one anything except to love one another. That's what I owe. But at the same time, I recognize there are structures in place. There are powers that are there. God has reasons for it. And to a great extent, submitting to the law means working within the system as much as you possibly can. It means doing what you need to do in order to get done what God has called you to do. And however it is that you have to do that, I know that pragmatism is a dangerous, you know, concept. And it's not just pragmatism. Hey, whatever it takes to get the job done. But it's hearing from God and recognizing that he is our higher authority. He's the one who allows all these people to be in place. So I'm in submission to these people in that, hey, if I get caught, I know what the price is going to be. I know that I may suffer. I know that anytime I'm going against the, the law as it's written, um, I could pay a price for that. So I have to ask myself, is God calling me to do this? Is he, you know, and you go, but does God ever want someone to lie? You know, that's a difficult question because Rahab, the harlot, lied to protect the spies who were coming in from Israel 
She had a higher purpose, and it would seem in that case, now people play with that story and go, well, she wasn't a Christian yet. That was her BC days and whatever, but she got in the hall of faith because of it. You know, So I'm like, if she's pointed out as an example of faith because she lied, maybe in some circumstances lying, if it's necessary, isn't as bad as having God's people killed. I think of Corey Ten Boom and so many others who, who protected Jews when the Nazis were hauling them into camps and killing them. When somebody knocked on their door and said, are there any Jews in your house? What's the right thing to say? Well, that's, a, that's for ethics classes to, to kick around. All I'm saying is if I'm hiding in that house... I hope that you lie, and if then you need to, and, and then if you need to repent and give forgiveness, I'm good with that too, you know. But his whole thing is ultimately the big picture. Generally, all they want you to do is to not cause trouble. All they want you to do is to be good, and and he is God's minister to you for good. For if you do evil, be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword in vain. But he's God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So if you're evil, you ought to be afraid of the government. If you're really trying to do something that's wrong, you should be afraid because you're the one they're after. Why? Because they're threatened by you beating them at their system and whatever, and so that's a problem. Now, there have been some totally righteous people who have had to end up spending long periods of time in prison, and many have died and given their lives because it had to come down to, I'm not going to deny Christ. I'm not going to stop preaching that which he has called me to preach. But now Paul is saying, for the most part, if you just stay out of trouble, if you have a low profile, if you keep your head down, chances are you're not the one that they're going to go after. They're going to go after the one who's being a jerk, the one who's being obnoxious, flaunting that. It's like if you're a public school teacher. You can be a public school teacher and share about the Lord in a whole bunch of ways. That I mean, God, I know some public school teachers that God uses powerfully. I've known other public school teachers who, like the first week of school, they're already in trouble. Well, you got to be smart about how you share. You have to be. You have to listen to God and have Him lead and guide you. It's it's possible to fulfill God's calling on your life in a way that will keep you out of trouble. Just the scale of the number of people that are in this world, the chances of you being picked out. You go to a country, and you're streaming across the border with tons of other people the chances of them singling you out are probably in direct proportion to how guilty you look. You know, I've told the story before about when my wife got busted for smuggling when we were coming back from Mexico one time. And she was, my brother Steve had bought a switchblade and he wanted to bring it back into the country. Um, I think he had some godly purpose for it. It was a letter opener, you know. So he goes, come on, Ann, put it in your purse. And Ann goes, no, I can't lie, I can't lie. You can, people can tell when I'm lying. And he, oh, oh, come on. Finally, I go, oh, Ann, just stick it. So she stuck it in the very bottom of her purse, in a glasses case, inside something else. And so I, I walked across the border first. 
I'm carrying like a bull whip and other stuff, and it's like, just walk right on through. Steve comes in carrying nothing, walk right on through. I turn around, and here's Ann coming through the border with her purse like this. <laughs> I go, oh boy, here we go. Put the purse down. <laughs> Let's open it up. They just keep digging through it. She's, t- she's going, Dave, am I going to jail? I go, just, it's going to be okay. She's so scared. And, you know, they find the switchblade, and then they, they have her plead guilty to smuggling. And I think, I think Steve had paid like five bucks for the knife, but they claimed it was worth 15. So the fine was $30, and we went on our way. But, yeah, if you go through the border looking like that, you're probably going to get picked out. <laughs> Just like if you're the one that gets on the street corner and goes, I don't care what this government says. Yeah, they're probably going to, you know, if you're the one that's sending out all these emails claiming all these wild conspiracies, yeah, don't be surprised if the IRS is going to audit your taxes or whatever. They're they're snakes. That's what they do. You know, don't sit there and think that you're going to cheat the system by being a rebel. But Paul goes, they're mainly, their hands are full trying to find real criminals. So f- keep your head down. Be subtle. Don't, you know, don't be just a blowhard about it. Just do what God has called you to do, and he's generally going to keep you out of trouble. He's generally going to keep you out of jail. He's, you know, if, you're, if you do your income tax and you pay your taxes and you're not like, trying to bend every rule there is and every kind of tax shelter and everything. And just, you're, you're determined that you're, they're not going to get a penny out of you. That Yeah, you're going to look suspicious and they're probably going to audit you and you better have somebody good representing you. But most people just pay their taxes and they don't get audited. It's just the way it works. But you, you can do things that will get you in trouble and Paul's just giving them advice going... In a, in, a, in a really evil system, he's going, just don't do that stuff. You don't, you know, you can make your life simple. And one of the greatest ways to make it simple is know what you're called to do and do what you're called to do. Stick with what God has for your life. Obey his calling. Listen to his voice. And you're not going to get in a bunch of trouble. And, you know, Don't lay awake tonight thinking, okay, if I have a Jew hiding in my closet, the chances of them coming to your door looking for Jews, it's probably not going to happen in our lifetime, okay? You get to that point, the truth is God's going to show you what to do. And if God tells me, lie, I'll do it. Okay, God. I don't understand it. It doesn't fit in my ethical understanding of things, but what I want to do is what you tell me to do. Sometimes God does tell me to do things that that would seem to be inadvisable, that would, under other circumstances, not be wise. God help us, though. If, If we are so stuck to rules that we will not violate a rule in order to do what God tells us to do. God doesn't give us rules so that we can live by rules. God gives us rules so that we can realize that we can't live by rules, and then we are to live as the Spirit leads and guides us. And if God tells you to do something, you do it. I don't care if everybody thinks it's wrong. 
I don't care if they throw verses at you to tell you that you're wrong. If God's telling you to do it, obey him. And most of the time, he'll keep you out of trouble. Most of the time, you're not going to get into these dilemmas where I either do this or I go to jail, because frankly, they have more to worry about than people like you and me. And so, he says, therefore, you must be subject. You must be hupotasso. Not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Don't you want to sleep at night? <laughs> don't you want to, to be in a place where you don't have a bunch of pressure on you all the time? Then just go with the flow and, and listen to the Lord and follow what he calls you to do. I'm sorry for going over. I'm not going to finish the chapter. We'll finish it up next time. Let's pray.